fullback belly. Three tight ends, including Habner. Kuhn is the fullback with the first and goal. Kuhn gets the ball. Pile Welcome to the Fantasy Fullback Dive, where we pave your path to 2020 fantasy titles. Today, we are thrilled to welcome on recurring guests for the fifth time now, but actually the first time it's as of Sports Illustrated. That's Grant Cohen. He's been covering the 49ers since 2011, has a fantastic Niners pod called the Cohen Zone with his father, Lowell, and is now our, always been kind of our go-to guy for getting our finger on the pulse of all things San Fran for you guys and your fantasy needs. Grant, thanks so much for coming back on. How's it going, man? See, you said San Fran. That's how you're letting all the listeners know that you're not from San Francisco. But I'm doing good. How you doing, man? <laughs> I had to give it away, right? I'm, I'm doing well, dude. I'm, I'm a okay. teacher. Summer break just started. So it's kind of just all fun, fantasy football fun and games here for the next few months, which I love. So life awesome. is good, man. Life is good. Uh, good. How's everything been going for you over at Sports Illustrated and the move with all that? Oh, great. It's been a terrific year. It's been it's been the worst year for humanity, but the best year for me. So I don't know what to do with that, but we'll take, take it one debut, day at right? a time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll take that debut for sure. Um, yeah. it, I mean, it was definitely a huge year for the Niners, a huge turnaround in 2019. They barely fall short in the Super Bowl, uh, and now they're all over the news again. So that's why we had to get you going here. Debo's broken foot. The backfield's always intriguing. Uh, but before we start getting into those players, I do have to ask you, last time you were on, my man, uh, we produced our most disliked clip of all time on YouTube. It was titled, Is Kyle Shanahan on the Hut Seat? And now, fresh off a six-year extension, how hot is that uh, seat these days for Kyle Shanahan? Scorching. <laughs> Scorching hot. No, that's funny. I just want to say, in my defense, I truly believe it's been a while since we've talked. I know. I, I said that he was on the hot seat in 2018 when he had just lost to the Cardinals for the second time that season. Mm-hmm. He was on his way to a 4-12 and season, and I truly believe they weren't going to fire him. But the hot seat means you're like one bad year away. And you could correct me on this, but I can't think of more. I can't think of any head coaches off the top of my head who had three losing seasons to start their tenure anywhere and got a fourth season. Maybe it would have been Kyle. Maybe it wouldn't have. But I think Kyle came into last season with an energy and a focus and a drive that was unmatched from any other coach in the league. And I only think you have a a drive like that when you're on the hot seat, when you know – you absolutely not because I put him there, but when you know absolutely that you need to make the playoffs in year three, and right. he handled that by like October, right? right. He was eight and zero. Oh, that was that was no issue. So um, yeah, I'd I'd like to take a little credit for that three year <laughs> extension. Fired Put just the yeah. right amount of pressure on Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> exactly, yes. You gave him that bulletin board material and uh, he used it to his, his yeah. full You're advantage welcome, there. Absolutely, yes. Uh, the fantasy fullback dive is at your service here. Uh, but but I know you just previewed, and you don't have to give away the whole interview. It's a nice 50 minutes uh, on your podcast. You talked about kind of the pros and cons of this extension. So without giving away maybe the whole episode, what are some of the major talking points that our, our listeners could look forward to if they tune into that episode? Sure. Well, the pros from Kyle Shanahan's perspective is he just set his family up for life. I mean, if I were in his position, I would have done what he did. Good for him. 
And the pros for Jed York is we know his history. He's hired a lot of coaches, fired a lot of coaches, never extended one, and hired some real bad ones. Uh, Chip Kelly, Jim Tom Sula, Mike Singletary. So at least Jed York knows that he is locked in to someone who is respected. Uh, That gives Jed York some, I don't know, gravitas that he didn't have back when he was clinging to Chip Kelly. So at least the Niners have some standing. The, the, the cons would be that mm, Kyle Shanahan has only been a head coach for three years. He hasn't won a Super Bowl. His overall record is under 500. He's 23 and 25. And while he's extremely creative and a respected offensive coach, just look at Sean McVay. That's what Sean McVay was a year ago. Sean McVay went to the Super Bowl, lost, was considered like the next great coach in the NFL, had one down season, just one. Didn't have a losing season. They were nine and seven, missed the playoffs, and now nobody cares about McVay. People have totally written him off yesterday's news. And what I would say is, caution to 49er fans and 49ers ownership, is that Kyle Shanahan potentially is one year away from that as well. If he were to go nine and seven next year, he'd be in Sean McVay territory. And you'd be looking at a coach who uh, was still under 500 in four years into his career. So he still has a lot to prove. He, he got paid based on a projection, and we'll see if the 49ers are right and are good in their ability to predict the future. Absolutely, yeah. And we'll, we'll get into what you project in a little bit towards the end of this podcast, what your prediction is. Will he be the next McVay, or is he going to have another beautiful season like last year? Before we do that, though, let's get into some of these players. And as I, I kind of highlighted at the top there, Debo Samuel, we, we knew we were going to have you on anyways. We always love to make a, a yearly tradition of our fantasy preview with you. But we kind of sped up the process here because Debo is the first mm. big injury of this fantasy offseason. Uh, he has a Jones foot fracture, and it's early at least says three to four months or so it's expected to sideline him and it there's tons of just varying uh you know parties that are impacted here let's start with the man himself Debo so you know he's definitely one of their most electric playmakers down the stretch especially last year he was deservedly kind of viewed in the fantasy community as this huge year two breakout everybody was about him you know if you got him around five Mm -hmm. you were doing fantastic but now should we be worried about him you know both short and long term what do you think about this injury for Debo Okay, well, it's a Jones fracture. That means it's actually good news. It's like there's a crack on one of the long, thin bones in your foot, but it doesn't involve a joint. Uh, It's not anything below the foot. It should heal in three to four months. Now, Trent Taylor believed that would happen to him last year. He suffered a Jones fracture, never played again last season, but that was because his, his body kept rejecting the metals in the screws that they were putting in. He had to have a bunch of different surgeries. So that theoretically shouldn't happen to Debo. The issue with him that I that I wonder is conditioning. He's missing June to September. That's when you ramp up and get into football shape. He may not be in football shape until October. Uh, still, I think he if he doesn't suffer a setback, he didn't really start producing until the second half of, of last season anyway. I was thinking he might get to like 1,400 yards from scrimmage before this injury because he's such a big part of their running game. But now if you sort of figure that maybe he won't produce much in September, maybe figure he still could get to 1,100 yards uh, from scrimmage, I still think he's a player you want to invest in from a fantasy football perspective. And here's why. You always want to look from Kyle Shanahan's perspective. And he likes to feature the, the players that he picked high or that he spent a lot of money on because ultimately he's picking the players. 
And when you think about like, why does Tevin Coleman start and Raheem Mostert doesn't? Because Kyle Shanahan wanted to sign Tevin Coleman and gave him a lot of money, so he justifies it. Okay, like in the in the in the Super Bowl, Debo Samuel got eight touches, George Kittle got four. Does that seem kind of strange? Well, Kyle Shanahan tr- drafted Debo Samuel with the 40th pick and drafted George Kittle in the fifth round. So from Kyle Shanahan's perspective, Debo is supposed to be the superstar. And even though Kittle has become one, you see they're do- having a, a, a contract dispute, negotiation, whatever you want to call it right now, where Kittle wants to be paid like he's one of the best players in the league and the Niners want him to give them some sort of a break. And that always makes me nervous going into a season. It, say Kittle doesn't hold out, but still he's, he's due to make a lot of money eventually. Will the 49ers not give him targets in the end zone? Will they try to keep his touchdowns down? I mean, teams have been doing that since the 80s when Al Davis and Marcus Allen got into it about, you know, over like a hundred, one or $2 million. Teams do this. Uh, so the way I always looked at it is, Debo's going to get a lot of touches. He was getting them in the playoffs. He's going to get them next year because Shanahan not only loves him, but put his whole reputation behind him, uh, pounded the table for him, essentially, and said Debo's going to be a great player. He gets to prove it. Shanahan gets to prove it by calling his number. Absolutely. And what about long term? Because I mean, there is a slew of injuries here that, you know, that the injury prone label gets tossed out for certain players. Like should should owners kind of expect this out of Debo now that he's going to be dinged in and out? Or is this one type of thing? I mean, the foot injury is so nerve wracking typically for receivers. But I, I know you said the Jones one isn't too, too bad, at least for someone that's so explosive and sudden and requires so much, you know, run after the catch ability. Is there any type of long term work? You mentioned, too, how Trent Taylor was sidelined with the same injury all year. Could that potentially happen here? I know we're not doctors, but is there any type of long-term concern for you and Debo as being like an injury-prone type of player, I guess? Well, that's two different questions. I do yeah. think there's an injury-prone question. With his with this particular injury, first, I wasn't there. I didn't see it. I don't know how it happened. I assume it was non-contact. Mm-hmm. When Trent Taylor uh, suffered his injury, someone landed on his foot with, with yeah. cleats on. I saw that. So that was not a non-contact injury. Um, Debo has broken bones before, but that's because he plays so hard. I've never really seen a wide receiver run as hard and as fearlessly into defenders as he does. Yeah. When he gets the ball in his hands, he's, he really is 5'11", 215, which is bigger and thicker than Raheem Mostert or Tevin Coleman or any running back on the route. He, he's, he's tough. He's a yeah. load to bring down, and he plays like it. So that's why he's breaking bone, broken bones in the past. This, I think, is something different, and if I could – speculate on why I think he may have broken a bone. Um, I was talking to a sport, a, a physical therapist like five, six years ago when Kevin Durant broke his foot. And what he was saying is a lot of times uh, African-American athletes, if they spend a lot of time indoors in Northern California, can become vitamin D deficient because mm-hmm. the, 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 the tone of their skin is built to protect them from serious ultraviolet rays in Africa, where you're like at the um, uh, uh, equator. So you you move to Northern California, you spend a lot of time inside, like during a quarantine, all of a sudden you're vitamin D deficient, your bones are a little bit brittle because vitamin D helps you process calcium, and you break a bone cutting and not touching anyone. I don't know if that's the issue, and I'm sure the 49ers are monitoring these players' vitamin D levels, but it's just one thing that popped into my head that a doctor told me before, and then Richie Dames a few days later breaks his wrist. A lot of guys have been following the government's uh, orders and staying inside, and I'm sure that's going to have an impact on some on some players this year. 
Absolutely. And let's say he does miss some time here. You, you, you know, guessing maybe September it takes him to get all the way back. And maybe not. We'll, we'll find out when we get there. But if he were to be out of the lineup for however long, you know, which single player do you think benefits the most from just a target share or, or whatever type of perspective? Who would really spike in that situation? Maybe this is a not a fair answer or but I'm going with George Kittle. Mm-hmm. And it seems like, well, that's obvious because he's the, the, the engine of the of the passing game anyway. Is he? Because in the Super Bowl, he got four <sighs> catches for like 30 yards. And it, it just seemed to me that down the stretch, Kyle Shanahan fell in love with calling plays for Debo Samuel. Mm-hmm. End rounds. He would put him in the backfield and, and use him as a running back. All kind of targets. And I think that Shanahan first of all, loves Debo, wants to prove that he's right from getting Debo, but wants to just express his creativity and felt there were more ways to use Debo than Kittle, which is probably true, but Kittle's a better player than Debo. Kyle can't forget about Kittle, and I think he did a little bit in some in a key moment last year, and this will force Kyle Shanahan to rediscover George Kittle and give him the 11 to 12, 13 targets a game that he really deserves. He shouldn't be getting less than that if you're going to be throwing the ball. Absolutely. Did he ever, you know, provide an answer? Is, you know, people going after Shanahan for why he was so misused in the Super Bowl? Or is that just kind of water under the bridge and we all just kind of let him off the hook and and hope for better next year? Shanahan hasn't really talked to the media much since then. I mean, during the season, he talks to the media like every day. Since then, it's been combine draft where you talk to him about mostly other stuff and really locally and nationally it seems like jimmy garoppolo gets most of the blame for the fourth quarter which isn't really fair because although he couldn't have been much worse than he was three for 11 with the pick uh he didn't necessarily need to be in that situation kyle shanahan could have been running the ball and winning so i think actually shanahan probably has gotten off the hook a little bit hasn't really answered those questions why people when people ask him hey kyle why didn't you run more he'll just say well the passes should have worked the guys were open which is implying jimmy garoppolo either didn't make the throw or to see the see the opening um Mm -hmm. that's his way of throwing a player under the bus uh (laughs) by implication right brutal there uh but okay so let's let's say uh, there's, there's so much about Kittle I want to address here. Let's let's get into the the contract issues because then you know if that's gonna be an issue, these next questions won't matter. But how big of an issue do you expect that to be? The, the the rumors are he wanted to blow the lid off was the exact quote I read, and that they were pretty far apart in discussions. Like, is there any type of worry about a holdout or anything like that? Well, I would think that he would hold out. If I were him, I would, and if I were his agent, I would ex- I would advise him to hold out. But I saw last week before someone got COVID-19 and the whole operation had to shut down, the Niners were working out as a team, not as a team. Uh, there were about 15 players on offense working out together in Nashville, and Kittle was one of them. Mm-hmm. That's not exactly what you would expect from a player who's about to hold out in two months. So um, I think he wants $22 million or 20 and I think he feels he deserves it. Will he hold out? I don't know. Is, are there? Uh, let me ask you, because I don't know the rest of the league as well as maybe you do. Are there parallels between him and Dak Prescott? I mean, it's it's tough in terms to know of that. money, because Dak wanted a lot of money and has wanted it for a while. He didn't get it last year and played anyway for about two right. million dollars. Didn't hold out, and now is still in a position to ask for thirty-five, forty million. Could Kittle do something like that? You could see it. I mean, especially because he is so complete at tight end. Like, I mean, you just don't see it anymore. The, the blocking, just throwing people out, and then still so good as a receiver too. I think he certainly would be justified in it. 
But you're right. It doesn't, you know, a, a lot of players are taking that. Well, okay, I'll get this franchise. And that's the thing was he was making so much in one year anyways. With Dak, he's going to wait, make, you know, 30-something regardless yeah. of whether he plays. Whereas if Kittle plays this year, what's his contract? I mean, he was a fifth rounder. He's probably, right. you know, looking right. at bare minimum. So that might be the one difference here is Dak, if he shows up, knows he's got, you know, 30 million reasons to show up. Whereas Kittle... Right. His whole financial security is is still on the the rope, so I don't know. It's an interesting line well, to draw a question to think about. Yeah, I, the way I look at it is he he can't go to practice in training camp because he yeah. could get hurt. Right. He could get hurt by a an undrafted player who's pl- practicing very hard, trying to make the team, doing a little too much, playing out of control, gets hurt, gets rolled up on. It almost happened to George, to Nick Bosa last year. Remember, mm, he, yeah. he he played eight days and had to shut it down. You do not want that. I mean. Kittle can't let that happen to himself yeah. before he gets paid. So what he can do is say, look, um, I'll be around the team as much as possible. You understand why I can't practice. Right. I don't really need to practice. I'm George Kittle. I'm not going to play in the preseason. And I really would like you to give me a new contract. But if you don't, I will be there for week one and I will give you another season. That seems to be kind of his personality. And yeah. then he would be like, and then you really, really better take care of me in 2021 and not franchise tag me. Maybe th- maybe they could do some type of um, compromise like that, but it's still risky because you can get hurt in a game. Absolutely. Uh, so let's assume he is on the field then. And I love it. You said 12 to 13 targets. I'm just picturing Kittle yeah. getting the work he deserves. Hey, my God, like what, what type, type <laughs> of numbers he could put up with that? Yeah. One, maybe that's the first question is if he does receive that volume, you know, what type of weekly stats do you expect him to put up? But then the other question too is, you suggested too. He's, he doesn't ever really score touchdowns. He's never topped five. It, what is the reason for that? He's six four. He's a mammoth. He can move. Like, is there a reason we should ever expect some positive touchdown regression? Why doesn't he ever score? What's going on there? I think it's more a reflection of Kyle Shanahan than George Kittle. I think if you put George Kittle on the Saints or the or the Chiefs or the Eagles, he would score ten to fifteen touchdowns a year. Or the Patriots. But for whatever reason, Kyle Shanahan, as excellent as he is, has historically been much better at gaining yards than points. And even in years where he scored a lot of points, his red zone production has been middle of the pack at best. And I don't really know. I mean, I, I can't really say why. I just feel like his running game, his players are a little small. His running game's a little finesse. All that zone blocking uh, offensive linemen who need to be able to run and, and execute blocks downfield. When you get to the five-yard line, that's not really helping you. But that doesn't really explain why Kittle can't get more targets in the end zone. I just feel like Kyle Shanahan expresses his creativity further away from the goal line. And when he gets in close, you can go back to his history in Atlanta. I mean, I don't think Julio Jones was scoring a bunch of touchdowns those years. Mm-hmm. He was almost more like a decoy. And maybe maybe Shanahan uses uh, Kittle that way. And maybe Shanahan's Philosophy is, look, everyone knows I, I'm trying to get the ball to Kittle. It's a very, very confined fa- space. There's no room to get him the ball. But what I can do is use him as a decoy and maybe create some space for Kendrick Bourne. That seems to be basically Kyle Shanahan's uh, MO. He likes to use Kendrick Bourne down there. That's his secret weapon in the end zone, in the red zone. Interesting. Yeah. What is your uh, final projection, would you say? If we get 16 of Kittle, he doesn't hold out, all goes well. What do you think he does this year? Oh, I would say um, 1,200 yards and six touchdowns. Awesome. You know, a a typical Julio Jones season, a typical George Kittle season. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, and then the, the other guy now, I mean, starting to gain some buzz here is, is the rookie. And I might miss, I want to make sure I get mm. this right. Is it Brandon Ayuk? Did I say that right? Ayuk. Ayuk, okay. Brandon Ayuk. So the, the 49ers obviously entered the offseason as one of the wide receiver neediest teams. Then Debo's injury certainly doesn't help that. And Emmanuel Sanders gets away. But they do trade up in round one. They select Brandon Ayuk. What is kind of your expectation for him if Debo's off the field, and then when Debo comes back, you know, is, is that going to change his role at all? Do you think they're they're shaping this kid up to be a, a big time player, even as a rookie this year? Yeah, it's a really okay. I, I, it's a great question. I'm going to answer it two different ways. Sure. If this were like the Patriots, I would say no way. This guy's not going to play hmm. uh, because he was a one year starter in college. He has no mini camp or OTAs. He has to learn a complicated offense on Zoom. I don't think I could lose, learn Kyle Shanahan's offense via Zoom. This this kid has to do it. That's tough. That's asking a lot. Um, and then it just seems like most young wide receivers have a learning curve in Kyle Shanahan's offense anyway. So that's why in a in a different situation on a different team, I would say no on IU. But again, what did I say earlier? Shanahan plays who he wants to play. Shanahan likes justifying his own personnel decisions. The 49ers traded up for Brandon Ayuk in round one. I mean, they picked him higher than they picked Debo. Debo started week one last year, and now Debo's hurt. And Brandon Ayuk's a lot like Debo. Because think about it this way. The Niners have a lot of elements in there. They're a run-first offense, but they're not just running back runs. I mean, it's not They don't have quarterback runs, but they have wide receiver runs. And these are a big part of what they do. I mean, Debo Samuel averaged about 17 yards per run on these end arounds last year. And you'd figure they're going to make them an even bigger part of the offense going forward because they're so effective. Well, no one else on the team other than Debo and Brandon Ayuk can really run him effectively. Trent Taylor's not going to run him. Kendrick Bourne won't run him. Jalen Hurd could, although who knows with him. Uh, Ayuk is healthy now. And I think what Shanahan could do, he could fast track Ayuk to the starting lineup and say – I want to run my scheme the way I want to run my scheme, and Ayuk allows me to call the same plays that I could call with Debo Samuel in the lineup. To me, that's a mistake. Uh, but me and Shanahan always disagree. We we never do things the same way. I would do it. Don't put too much on Brandon Ayuk's plate. Give him a role. Don't make him a starter. But play him a third of the game and, and build him up slowly. Shanahan will probably do the exact opposite. There's a there's a, a significant possibility. Ayuk starts week one, gets 65 snaps, three carries, five targets, just because he's Shanahan's guy. And Shanahan often proves himself right, so I'm not going to say he's wrong. I'm just saying we have different viewpoints. So just because I say I wouldn't fast-track Ayuk doesn't mean he won't get fast-tracked. Keep an eye on Ayuk. He could be a week one starter. I love it. And I, I saw some stats, too, that you know he was, I think, sixth most yards after the catch, like 10 yards oh, after yeah. the catch last year, which obviously fits you know Shanahan, the lowest average depth of targets in the league, and just lets his guys kind of do his thing. So he does fit that type of mold. Oh, yeah. And I, I Correct me if I'm wrong, but weren't there some reports that they even had him as like their number one rookie, even above like CeeDee Lamb and things like that? They almost took him at 13, but the D-tackle was there. I, I forget exactly what I was reading. but he said, Kyle Shanahan yeah. said that. You always wonder if they're telling the truth because they always say that right after they drafted the guy yeah, it's like of course gee brandon Ayuk, haven't really heard of that guy you traded up for him why'd you do that and they say boy he's even better than you think we would have taken him with the third pick okay sure yeah. okay fine but he is really a fantastic athlete um i don't know how much you watched arizona state over there in the east coast uh but only a one-year starter needs some polish as a receiver but hell of an athlete 
hell of an athlete. I mean, 40-yard, 40 uh, 40-inch 40 vert. Uh, he can return punts and kicks really strong. I mean, has a grown man body unlike the last wide receiver the Niners traded up for from, from the Pac-12. I forget his name. He played at Washington. He's still on the team. I just forget his name. But, yeah, this guy's way <laughs> stronger than him. Uh, I, I think he'll be better than him. I just His name escapes me. Sorry. <laughs> Easily to, easy to forget that one. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I won't, Maybe we'll get to him in the questions here. Uh, yes. But uh, and speaking of freak athletes, too, another one that could potentially, again, this is all speculation. We don't know if Debo's going to miss time. But another guy just in year two anyways maybe could have seen his role grow. Mm. Jalen Hurd, a complete miss last year, didn't play at all. But still 6'4", 225, played running back for a few years in college, then transitioned to slot receiver. So, I mean, still that that versatility, that run-after-the-catch ability that, that Shanahan loves. I, I see a lot of that ability with Jalen Hurd if we ever see him fully get back. What, what do you think about him? Do you think we see anything from Jalen Hurd in year two? Jalen Hurd is like the biggest enigma on on the roster. I don't know how much you know this guy's history, but he was one of the biggest high school players in the country as a junior. I think he rushed, rushed for like 3,000 yards as a junior in high school and could have gone anywhere, Alabama, LSU, literally anywhere as a running back. And everyone saw him as like the next Eddie George uh, from Tennessee. Decided to stay in Tennessee, had a good couple of years as a true freshman, a true sophomore. And then, and then something happened. He said he got a concussion. It was kind of unclear what happened. And then he decided, well, he doesn't want to play running back at all anymore. He wanted to move to wide receiver. And the Tennessee was totally un... They were uninterested in moving his position. They had a guy named Jawan Jennings at slot receiver that they liked better than Jalen Hurd, which is funny because they're now both in the 49ers. So Hurd leaves, goes to Baylor, sits out basically a year and a half. He has a lot of history of not playing football. Missed a year and a half. He missed his senior year of high school. Uh, then he went to Baylor, played pretty well, shut himself down before the bowl game to get ready for the f- football season. Hurt himself. I don't know if he shut himself down or if the, the, the team shut him down, but initially when he hurt his back, they said three weeks. Well, he, we hope he'll be back. Well, it was the whole season. So I don't know him that well, but what I'm getting at is that he may be just a little bit of a diva, which <laughs> is interesting because no one really else on the 49ers is. It's mm-hmm. I've never seen a divaless lot. I mean, even Jimmy. Jimmy is such a down-to-earth guy, and really Richard Sherman is too. Richard Sherman's a former fifth-round pick who still acts like it. Um, Jalen Hurd acts like he's been famous since 2013, and maybe yeah. he has been, and that he's like going to grace the 49ers with his presence eventually. Maybe it'll be this year. And I think if he ever gets on the field, he'll he'll be pretty good. He seems like he's one of the best athletes on the team. I just wonder how many healthy games he'll string together in his career but if he ever gets on the field i do think he'll make an impact yes and if he can keep he can string together an entire healthy offseason he just might win a starting job because he's competing with guys like rookies and other injury prone people so he has a terrific opportunity Absolutely. We'll see if the, the opportunity ends up unfolding there, but the athleticism and the, we call it talent usage, if it all molds together and, and fantasy-wise, you can get him in the last round at this point. Just as a and, punt, and if so, you watched yeah. the Niners last year, you saw there were times where they would line up Debo Samuel in the backfield, right. in the shotgun, next to Jimmy Garoppolo. Well, I think that's probably how they envision using Jalen Hurd at times, considering he really did play running back in college. Absolutely, yeah. You could put him anywhere, line him up anywhere. It's certainly worth that last 
you know, round investment there. The, another wide receiver you may have been referencing earlier here, uh, Mr. Pettis. And I'll, I'll give Pettis. you this one. Pettis. Pettis. <laughs> That's his name. Yeah. I think I'll help you figure yeah. that one out. Dante. Uh, I'll give you some credit here. You know, he was all the rage in the fantasy world around this time last year. He had that big five-game stretch as a rookie, so we were all, you know, I was hyped up on him. I had you on. I was like, I can't wait for Pettis this year. What do you think? And you poured some cold water on it, and I was like, oh, really, Grant? I I love Grant's takes, so let's see here. And then, you know, the report started coming out in camp that he wasn't doing his thing, and and I, you know, everyone was slow to get off that bandwagon, but I jumped off pretty quick because as soon as we had that interview and then the reports were coming out in camp, I was like, all right, you know what? I don't want Pettis anymore. I thankfully didn't get burned by him. So I got to thank you for that. You you saved me from Pettis personally in fantasy. But there's still a lot of owners out there very scorned by him and people holding Mm. out dynasty hope for him and their keeper leagues. Interesting. Uh, what do you think? Is that was that five game flash? You know, just yeah. a, a one brief moment in the sun, and we'll never hear Pettis again. Or could this be the opportunity with Debo out for a little bit for him to to maybe get back and work a role into this offense again? Do you think we'll ever hear okay. Pettis again? What do you think? That's two questions again. Yeah. Uh, great questions. The first question uh, was that just a flash in the pan? Are we never going to see that from from Pettis again? I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. He's a young receiver. He. Did that in his rookie year, which is impressive. He had a sophomore slump. I think he's one of the more – I think he's extremely athletic. He's still young. And I think for people who have him in their dynasty leagues, keep him yeah. because he may be good in a couple of years. Uh, do not draft him this year. Do not hmm. draft him this year. And if that's the second question. If you think he's going to step up and be a starter while Debo Samuel's out, think again. It's I, 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 I want to say this as strongly as possible without – um, saying things I don't know, but I'm 99% certain it's not going to be Dante Pettis. And he really has no future with the 49ers, I believe, because two reasons. One, I don't think there's really a rapport or any chemistry between him and Jimmy Garoppolo. Maybe they could build it this year, although no TAs in minicamp is going to be tough. Um, second thing is that the offense has really changed and it doesn't fit Dante Pettis anymore. Mm-hmm. When they drafted Dante Pettis, they were into these really sleek, small wide receivers who were returners. Him, Richie James. Guys who – I think they were thinking about guys who could get open downfield and give you a little bit of yak. But not guys who would um, – not guys who would really embrace contact. Guys who were almost a little frail. And the offense has really changed since then. All the wide mm-hmm. receivers are running backs basically. You know, big guys who get – who, who get yards after contact. They're not avoiding people. They're running through people. Jalen Hurd, yeah. Jawan Jennings, Jay, uh, Debo Samuel. And that's because the, the offense has become such a run-first offense. A lot of these passes are like runs too. They're screens. They're slants. They're all about yards after the catch. And even though Dante Pettis was a good punt returner in college, he's not going to be a big yards after the catch guy in the NFL. He's not. He seems like he is scared of contact. He gets hurt. Um, every time he gets hit, I go like, Ooh, like, are you okay? You know what I mean? It's not like Debo. Uh, so I think if, if he went to a different offense that passed more and actually had a quarterback who wanted to get the ball down the field, he could be good because that's what he does well. But on on an offense that likes to run the ball 40 times a game anyway, and when they do throw, it's like a little slant where they ask the wide receiver to like run through the whole defense and break a tackle. It just doesn't fit him anymore. And the, it seems like the quarterback on top of that lost confidence in him. So the, he needs a fresh start. He's still young. Hold on to him in your dynasty league because he could end up on the Packers or so, on a team like uh, Pittsburgh 
where they actually would let him run the double moves down the field that he's good at. And all of a sudden, he could be a guy who averages 17 yards a catch, gets seven targets a game, and gives you something. But on the Niners, I don't think it's ever going to happen. What about with Kendrick Bourne? You mentioned, you know, maybe one of the top red zone weapons on this team. And then also the only other receiver I can think of is Trent Taylor. And if there's any other names I'm missing, be sure to throw them out. But between those two, I just want to kind of cover all the passing game weapons here. Do you see either Bourne or Taylor as, you know, the veterans who could step up if Debo misses time? Uh, You've talked about Trent on here before, and we just haven't really seen him get onto the field, unfortunately. What do you think of those two guys, especially in light of Debo's absence here? I think what you got to remember if you're drafting 49ers players on offense is that it really, really is a run first team. Mm -hmm. And if they can beat an opponent on a given week running the ball 45 times, they will. So even if you have a guy like George Kittle, there is a significant risk on any given week that the Niners just won't pass because they won't have to. So you talk about a guy like Kendrick Bourne or Trent Taylor, I'd stay away from Trent Taylor. Trent Taylor's good, but he has a specific role. It's third downs. So he might catch three passes for 25 yards and do his job. You know, pick up three first downs on third and five and do his job, but he's not helping your fantasy team. Bourne is different. Because his role is in the red zone. So when he does his job, he gets you points, big points. Yes, you should have Kendrick Bourne. Absolutely. It's his fourth year in the system. There are uh, injuries at wide receiver. The top two wide receivers from the Super Bowl last year are one is Emmanuel Sanders on the Saints. The other is Debo who's hurt. The next guy up is Kendrick Bourne. You asked me who's going to see an uptick in targets. I said Kittle. Well, it could be Bourne too. You definitely should have Bourne on your team. And it seems like... He's always going to be right there at, at the with the 49ers leaders uh, for touchdowns, at least rece- touchdown receptions. Absolutely. Uh, and, and the last question, and I want to get to the run game because that is so crucial here, but the last passing game, obviously the center of all this is Jimmy Garoppolo. He was quarterback 14 in fantasy, only had five games of 20 or more fantasy points, though. When you're, you're quarterback, you kind of want that. 19 to 25 points he just wasn't because like you said there's just some games they just don't pass it at all because they don't have to so to me I don't target him in fantasy specifically for what you just said but is there any reason to expect a big leap and then the the second part there too is do you think Mm. he's the long-term answer in San Fran San Francisco okay that's a whole different question let's talk about I'll get to that but let's talk about 2020 first is there reason to expect a big leap Yes, there is, and I think the organization expects it and the fans expect it. And the reason is it's his second full season as an as a starting quarterback under Kyle Shanahan. Everyone saw what Matt Ryan did, the leap he took from 2015 to 2016. He went from being solid to being the best MVP in the Super Bowl. If Jimmy makes that leap, they'll he'll be the long-term answer. I yeah. think people are expecting second full season, second year away from the ACL surgery. He'll be 29 in November. There is uh, definitely reason to expect a big jump. Do I expect it? I don't. And I could be wrong. But the reason I don't expect it is he he lost Emmanuel Sanders. Debo Samuel's hurt. It's not his fault. But I, I don't believe his weapons are as good as they were last year. I don't believe they are. And I don't think they're really going to be – I mean, I think they'd love him to throw 35, 40 touchdowns this year. But I don't think they're going to change their offense. I still think they're a run-first attack. And I think what they really want him to do, the most reasonable uh, leap they ex- expect him to make is to stop throwing so many picks. Seriously. If you can cut it from 13 to 7, they probably win the Super Bowl. 
if he can go the entire regular season throwing seven picks, Kyle Shanahan would probably trust him in the, in the playoffs if he threw one bad pass. But the way Garoppolo's been, and it wasn't just last year, he started 27 games for the 49ers, including the playoffs, and thrown 24 picks. Mm-hmm. That's a trend. And I'm not calling him Jameis Winston, but if he goes another season throwing 13, 14 picks, then you start to wonder. So if he can just cut the interceptions down to seven or eight, uh, they'll be happy. And I, I would imagine that unless Aaron Rodgers becomes available unexpectedly, that they would probably stick with Jimmy. But I'm not so sure that he's going to cut down his, intercept- his interceptions. He doesn't throw outside the numbers. He doesn't very often. He doesn't throw deep very often. Opposing defenses know they can kind of compress themselves between the numbers. And then he ends up throwing a lot of passes into traffic. Passes get tipped. Bad things happen. So I'm curious to see if he can just cut down the picks. I don't expect 4,500 passing yards and 35 touchdowns. I just don't. Yeah, I'm fully with you either. I don't. And at quarterback in fantasy, unless you're doing the super flex leagues where there's two quarterbacks starting, there's just so much more upside, in my opinion, that you can find late with these younger guys that might run the ball a little more uh, themselves or to, you know, sling it deeper. It is about the run game. I might rather have Joe Burrow than Jimmy Garoppolo, just in fantasy. Absolutely. Just in fantasy. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. I'm the same yep. boat. Yeah. Yep. I, I have, you know, we don't know what he's going to be yet. Whereas I feel like we kind of know what Garoppolo is. And there is that ceiling you highlighted, you know, if, if it is the Matt Ryan style year two in the system, but it's just a different type of offense because the run game is so productive here. It was in Atlanta too, but I mean, they also had Julio Jones and they had, you know, all these ridiculous weapons around. They him. aired it out in Atlanta. They aired it out. Why not, right? And if you don't yeah. have Debo Samuel, especially to start the year, who are you going to air it out with? So yeah. I, I do think it is about the run game. And that's what Shanahan's always been kind of about the run game, mm-hmm. regardless of where he is. Even in Atlanta, we had some productive teams despite Matt Ryan you know, bombing it. And that's that zone blocking scheme. It's one of my favorite things to watch. It, mm-hmm. it, you know, when it's well executed, it's just so effective. And last year we saw it. You know, only the Ravens, who were record setting, had more run game production than the 49ers. And the other reason we need to talk to you about it, though, is it's always tough to project who is it going to be, who's going to get this work in the Shanahan scheme. They call it the Shenanahanigans in, in fantasy football because we just don't know if there's ever if there's a bell cow, they feast. Devonta right. Freeman was the number one running back in fantasy, then the number three. Mm. But other than that, you know, when we don't have the clear guy, it's kind of, it can be a weekly headache. So there's a lot of people that are I'm not going to touch Coleman or Mostert because... I don't know which one's going to get the work, and I don't want to deal with the headaches, but then there's the, the mm. people, and I'm kind of in this camp. I love Mostert. I'm in that boat where you know maybe he does finally get at least a steady, maybe not bell cow, but enough that I know he's getting 15-ish touches, and if he does, the system's so good, and he's such a good fit that he, he blows it up and, and lights it up. So I'm willing to take that stab. A lot of people aren't. I don't know about you. What do you think of Mostert? Let's start with him because yeah. he, he blew out into the scene last year. I have him over 20 spots higher, as I was just kind of saying, than the industry. And now that Breed is gone, I, I'm really into this. But what do you think about Mostert next year? Should I be as high as I am? Well, like the theme I've been saying the entire time is you got to remember who Shanahan has invested himself yeah. in, his ego, his the, the team's money, and it's not Mostert. Mostert's mm-hmm. on a special team's gunner contract, making about $3 million a year. Uh, that that reflects that he's the best special teams player on the team, but it doesn't re- re- reflect anything about his running back status. Coleman is making five. Coleman is the starter, and Shanahan likes Coleman. Coleman, he see, for whatever reason, he sees Coleman as the between-the-tackles downhill runner, although he's not exactly big, but he's bigger than Mostert. 
so when you get to the five, inside the five, inside the 10, it's going to be Coleman. So that's, it hurts if you're a Mostert mm-hmm. owner. That being said, look at Mostert's stats last year. Even in a situation where he wasn't starting and he wouldn't get a lot of the like the low red zone work, he killed it. He got a bunch of touchdowns. He got a bunch of yards. So I love Raheem Mostert. Love him, especially for this offense. And I'll explain why he's perfect. On another team, he wouldn't be. But on this team, remember, the best run blocker is not an offensive lineman. It's George Kittle. Okay? Nothing against McGlinchey and Staley or Tomlinson. Um, It's Kittle. There's a stat that just him being on the field, the Niners average like more than five yards of carry outside the tackle. It's him. And if you watch him, he'll take safeties and just (laughs) move them down the field. He creates space. So what you need is just a gunner who runs a 4-3, who can sprint very fast right behind Kittle and create the space Kittle, Kittle makes. Take the space Kittle creates. That's what Mostert does. He doesn't, I mean, he's shifty, but he doesn't have to be. He just runs straight. And he picks up eight yards without getting touched. Coleman isn't fast enough to do that. Coleman's, all, like, he'll get the ball, slow down, cut back, and then try to hit it between the guard and the center on the backside. It's like, dude, you're not taking advantage of the best blocker in football. So uh, that's just Coleman. It's always been his style because in Atlanta, they had Alex Mack. So cutting it behind the center was a good play. In, on the Niners, it's not. You want to get out to Kittle because it's the easiest eight yards you'll ever get. And Mostert figured that out real, real soon. As long as Kittle's on the team, you want Raheem Mostert. Uh, they won't, they'll have to give him 12 carries a game, 13. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up with 12, 1,300 rushing yards and 10 touchdowns, even though Kyle Shanahan loves Tevin Coleman. They, Mostert is just a perfect fit with George Kittle. Perfect. I mean, that, that's some some lovely stats right there. 1,200 yards, 10 TDs for oh. a fifth, sixth round price. And I, I totally agree with you. If he gets that volume, he t- should blow that off right right there. So, I mean, that, that'll make him a steal if he gets that. So I'm hoping so. We're on the same page there. What about in terms of receiving work? Because a lot of leaguers do play PPR, point mm-hmm. per reception leagues. And that's always huge when you get those running backs that not only get touchdowns and yards, but also can rack it up in the air. Is Mostert, Coleman, you know, potentially McKinnon, Jarek McKinnon, could we ever see him again? Who do you expect to kind of eat up receptions out of the backfield? Are they going to use a receiver back there? Or or what's going to happen? Is Mostert capable of that work, I guess, is a a way to start there? Well, first, they want it to be McKinnon. Mm -hmm. They want to have a guy who can run on third and five, kind of like Trent Taylor, can come out of the backfield and run those little option choice routes where you go right at a linebacker and then cross them up, left, right, whatever you want to do, uh, up to the wide receiver, up to the running back. That's an element uh, that Devontae Freeman could do in Atlanta that the Niners really haven't had. Carlos Hyde couldn't do it. Tevin Coleman doesn't do it. Moster doesn't do it. Breida could do it a little bit. Uh, Jeff Wilson could do it a little bit. But like a, they're looking for Christian McCaffrey in the passing game. Not an, not an all-around Christian McCaffrey, but they hope it's McKinnon. I don't think it'll be McKinnon. He's missed two years in a row. That would be one hell of a story if he could come back and be the same guy he was. They're going to give him a chance. He'll have all of training camp to prove it, but we'll see. Barring a miraculous recovery by Jarek McKinnon, I don't think they have anyone on the roster who can do that, who can have that kind of a third down roll out of the backfield. Mostert was a wide receiver in high school in the first two years at Purdue, but he's not that kind of a slot receivery type of uh, wide receiver. He's six feet tall. And a four three, he's long speed. 
And you saw him, he caught a touchdown pass against New Orleans last year that Emmanuel mm-hmm. Sanders threw. Yep. I think they could use him um, up the sideline and on wheel wheel routes and stuff like that. Not where he's making quick cuts over the middle, but where he's running deep because he is the fastest player on the team. He has a history playing wide receiver. He has good hand-eye coordination. They could use him as actually like a surprise deep threat that the defense doesn't even cover, you know, that loses track mm-hmm. of on those on those wheel routes. I think that's one way they could get him more involved in the passing game, and I think they intend to. It's, that's very intriguing then to, to add that to the rushing workload that we hope to see increase if he is used on more of those wheel routes. You, you said they intend to. Yeah, 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 please. As many as you, you know, want about him. Huh? Shanahan likes to have this positionless football where he'll put wide receivers at running back or he'll make wide receivers throw. Dante mm-hmm. Pettis threw a pass last year. Emmanuel Sanders threw a touchdown pass last year on a reverse. The reverse and end arounds are a big part of the Niners offense, and they want to add throws off of that. I mean, it's the mm-hmm. next wrinkle, right? So they're, they drafted this guy, Jawan Jennings from Tennessee, who actually was a quarterback in high school and had a whole wildcat package at Tennessee where he would throw passes, run reverses. It's going to be part of the offense. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was a bigger emphasis this year, uh, wide receiver passes to running backs. So Interesting. that's another reason to draft Mostert. What do you think his reception total might end up? I mean, I guess you're saying, again, it's more the deep. It might be more right. yardage than total receptions. But, you know, I forget how many exactly he had last year. I think it was right around like 200 or so receiving yards. Do you think he is right around the same level? I'm pulling it up now, the exact stats he had. Or do you think they, they you said they intend to maybe use him a little more on these wheel routes? Could we see a real spike in that receiving yardage department? I think there's, to me, the more reps and touches they give Mostert, the better he plays. They haven't even found what his upper limit is yet. And just because he can't run maybe an option route out of the backfield well, doesn't mean that wheel routes are the only thing he can run. Mm -hmm. I mean, he could, what else could he do? He could do jet sweeps. He could do those little pop passes. Um, He could run screens. I I think if he were on the Chiefs, Andy Reid would be scheming up a million ways to get him the ball in the flat for bubble screens. He could take those the distance. I think there are a lot, a lot of ways that they can give Mostert 15 touches a game. Maybe not 15 carries, but 12 carries and three catches. Why not? Because he's so explosive and any one of those touches could go for a touchdown. So I'm not fading him at all. I think that he's going to get – he's going to force his way into getting more touches because he always performs so well. I hope so, man. That that that'd be the ideal here. Uh, other than Moster, you said maybe McKinnon comes back. Is there any other players we haven't touched upon? I mean, we've been hitting whether it's in the backfield, whether it's wide receiver. I feel like we've covered a ton of players. Is there anybody I'm missing before we get into your your season prediction for the Forty ers Well, usually you'd mention a few undrafted free agents. Yeah, like the Niners have a bunch of interesting running backs this year. They they signed basically. A running back committee. It may be the committee in three years. They got Jamichael Hasty from Baylor, who is the uh, Jarek McKinnon receiver out of the backfield. He's five foot eight. He's a little slot receiver who can line up in the backfield, and he's tough. They signed Savan Ahmed from uh, Washington, who is the Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, super fast guy who doesn't have the best vision but can follow George Kittle's block to the outside and take it 86 yards for a touchdown. Then they got this bigger running back. I think his name is Josh Hockett from Fresno State, who's like 6'1", 225 pounds. He could play fullback. 
He could play H-back, and he can be a goal line back, sort of like Jeff Wilson Jr., He a real tough runner. And under normal years, I'd say if Jarek McKinnon doesn't make it, maybe Jermichael Hasty will. But usually for an undrafted free agent to make a roster as a rookie, he needs to kind of kill it all offseason. He yeah. needs to show it in minicamp, OTAs, and training camp. And he just won't have that. These these rookies won't have it. So I think it's going to be real hard for any any undrafted free agent to make a roster this year. So I'm trying to think of players on the team who are under under the radar. Hmm. Jeez. Um, Daniel Brunskill. Daniel Brunskill. I think he's going to win the job at right guard. He's not – he doesn't really factor into our conversation. Uh, but he affects the run game. He affects the pass game. The Niners last year had Mike Person at right guard who was – not good enough for for a Super Bowl contender. I think Brunskill will be an upgrade, and I think that means the run game should be even better. And you factor in they added Trent Williams at left tackle. Yeah. This uh, the often the, the blocking got a lot better. This run game could be even better than it was last season. I'm t- coming back to Mostert. He could have a monster monster season, dude. He could have <laughs> like a Terrell Davis in 1997 season. You understand? He could go really? crazy. Yes. Yes. Really. I love it. Because I mean, it's all set up for him. It's all set up for him. All the if, blocking. If he hits his ceiling, if everything goes perfect, what do you think that final – because stats is all we care about. What is that final ceiling stat line you could see from Mostert? The ceiling, I think, uh, given the, how committed the Niners are to running and how how many excellent blockers he has, Trent Williams, Mike McGlinchey, George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, and then the interior of the O-line isn't bad. Ceiling, 1,600 mm-hmm. yards. Wow. Ceiling. 10, 10 plus TDs? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Whew. 1600. And is that just total yards or pure rushing? Like 1600 rushing? Rushing yards. Oh my good I God. Think, <laughs> I, think, I think he's a perfect fit for what the Niners want to do on offense. I don't think he would be necessarily as good on any other team. Yeah. Um, because if you don't have a creative offensive coach and a good uh, good blockers, where's he going to go? How, how many... How many defenders is he going to make miss on a given play or, or run over? Not many, but if he has a clear lane, pff, it's over. It's over, yeah. and he's going to average six yards a carry. He yeah. reminds me a little bit of Jamal Charles. Jamal Charles made it look so easy when he was young. He was just kind of gliding around the field, and then you look at the end of the game, oh, he averaged five and a half yards a carry. How'd he do that? That's Moster to me. Yeah. Especially in that Packers game in the playoffs, it was like you know, th- nobody can touch this guy. Like yeah. no matter what happens, it, the blocking was beautiful, obviously. But he just, as soon as that lane's there, there's no getting him. You're right. So it's like I, it's like yeah. playing Madden on rookie, and the defense constantly takes the wrong angle. It's like really, right. would it? Gee, still have, exactly. You still haven't learned. Never seen a running back run it. straight before. Gee, yeah. <laughs> oh, I love it. I know, man. If you take nothing else. Listeners, right now, make sure you do not fade Mostert like many people are saying because the upside, the ceiling, it's 1,600 rushing yard, double-digit touchdowns. It's there. The ceiling is there. And I've been saying that too, so I'm glad we're in agreement here. I mean, just uh, real quick, he, he rushed for like 220-something yards in the NFC Championship game. Mm-hmm. He basically carried the Niners to the Super Bowl. It yeah. was the game of his life. Maybe, I mean, they, they probably would have beaten the Packers other ways, but on that particular day, he was the man. And then in the Super Bowl, he only got what? He got 12 carries and they lost. Yeah. And who knows if they if they would have won if he had gotten 15 or 16. But they'll have to wonder that the rest of their lives, Kyle. And yeah. I feel like they may want to rectify that a little bit. Let's let's actually see what the upper limit is for Raheem Mostert because we don't want to miss another opportunity to win a Super Bowl with bullets in the chamber. Yeah, absolutely, love it. You know. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man. I hope All we right. get it. I hope we get it. I really do. Because so especially guy, with the six round time, he's a great yeah. story. Yeah, absolutely. Be fantastic. Well, that leads us to our last question then here. As always, it's been fantastic catching up with you, Grant, and hearing your predictions. What's your season prediction for the the Niners here? How far do you see them going after such a great turnaround last year? Do they they keep the pedal on the metal and get right back there? Or do you think some regression's coming for the Niners? Okay, quick, quick uh, disclaimer. This could be a very strange season. Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you could have teams losing... 12 players at a time with COVID. You could have teams losing head coaches for a month, quarterbacks. Right. So this might be a strange year, dude. But let's just assume that it's totally normal. Uh, because we don't, we can't predict that. Yeah. Let's assume it's a totally normal. It's a normal year. Um, I look at the schedule and feel like it's real favorable to the 49ers. I, I don't see how they win fewer than 12 games. And I'm always looking for how they can lose games. I, I always feel like... <laughs> People go too easy on them, and, and uh, the, the truth is somewhere in between. This year I see 12 wins, minimum, and a possibility to get 13 or 14. My question is, what are they going to do in the Super Bowl? What are they going to do, not the Super Bowl, the playoffs? Will they get back to the Super Bowl? Will they win it? And what I see is the Niners are not better than last year. Schedule's easier, but they're not better than last year. Again, they did, they did add Trent Williams, who's an upgrade over Joe Staley. But they lost Emmanuel Sanders, and they lost to Forrest Buckner. Those are those are significant losses, uh, and so Jimmy Garoppolo to off, is, it ha, needs to offset that. Basically, they lost Emmanuel Sanders into Forrest Buckner because of Jimmy. Last year, Jimmy's accounted for I believe 8.6 percent of the 49er salary cap. Okay, this year it's 12.9 percent. He's become very expensive. And when you're paying a quarterback that much of your cap, uh, you're going to have to lose some players, which means that he's going to have to make up the difference and play more like Matt Ryan or Tom Brady or Russell Wilson than uh, a game manager, a guy who is good sometimes and other other times is handing off. So um, I think it comes down to Jimmy. He needs to not only cut out the, the interceptions, but be able to put the team on his back in certain key situations like he couldn't in the Super Bowl. So although I believe they're going to win 12 games, I don't think they're going to make it back to the Super Bowl. I think they're going to lose in the playoffs and they're going to have some very difficult questions to ask themselves about the future of their team and if their Super Bowl window can stay open with Jimmy Garoppolo making 27 million a year. So who's knocking them off? Which team from the NFC is coming out then? Jeez. I, <laughs> I think, I think um, Tampa. I think really? Tampa's better than the 49ers. I think New Orleans better than the 49ers. And I would have the Niners third in the NFC, just a little bit ahead of Seattle. Awesome. Well, Grant, this has, as always, been a pleasure catching up with you, hearing all your predictions about how Debo Samuel's injury could unload and, and how it might get filled in if he is to miss time. And then, of course, the Raheem Mostert show at this point, which I love. I'm happy to have that validation from you. Could you remind our listeners uh, you know, where they can find your work and how they can connect with you on Twitter and everything? Okay, uh, I'm on Twitter, at Grant Cohn. I have a YouTube channel now uh, that I post stuff on every day. I don't know how to – I don't know what it's at. Just search Grant Cohn, C-O-H-N. And uh, I now write for Sports Illustrated, so I'm easy to find on Google. You just Google me. You can put Sports Illustrated after it. There I am. And Fantastic. I'm on uh, Wolf of Roto Street every year and a half. 
<laughs> exactly, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So yeah. it's great to have our catch up as always. Maybe you know if, if we get some new news on Debo throughout the off season or whatever might happen, I'll, I'll hit you up and we can always get you back on. Please it's do. always a pleasure, Grant. Thank you so much yeah. for your time today. My pleasure. Love this show, man. We used to have it all, but now's our curtain call. So hold for the applause. Oh, 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 oh. And wave out to the crowd and take our final bow. Oh, it's our time to go, but at least we stole the show. 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 Second effort, third effort, touchdown! Oh. That's pretty awesome. That's old-fashioned football right there, folks.